Today on Let the Bible Speak. We continue our study of the grace of God as Paul tells us about four facets of God's amazing grace. Good morning and thank you for joining me. I hope it's been a good week and I pray that it's the beginning of an even better one for each of us. It's my privilege to have a few minutes of your time to explore the Bible and to dwell on one of its greatest themes, the grace of God. Last week we began a lesson about four important truths Paul set forth in one passage about God's grace. Grace is commonly misconstrued and that is on both ends of the spectrum. Some minimize the grace of God with a self-righteous, almost entitled attitude toward the things of God, while others exploit God's grace by so emphasizing it until they lose sight of God's holiness and His disdain for sin and His expectation for us to live a holy life. But in Titus chapter 2, Paul presents the proper perspective, which if we share that perspective, it will dispel the false notions and many abuses of the grace of God which seem so common in our culture. And as we shall see today, these misconceptions are not only a modern phenomenon, but Paul had to contend with them in the early church as well. We turn now to Titus chapter 2. Read with me beginning in verse 11. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously and godly in this present age, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave Himself for us, that He might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for Himself His own special people, zealous for good works. We spent almost all of our time last week talking about the redeeming grace of God. Well, today we look at three other aspects of grace that are just as essential that we understand. Our lesson today, part two of the grace of God, and I'll return with our study after a song from the congregation.
grace means favor, and it refers to several facets of the Christian life and our relationship with God. I think it's safe to assume, though, that when most of us hear the word grace in a spiritual context, we immediately think of salvation from sin. And that's appropriate because there is no more important and impactful manifestation of grace than its role in redeeming us from sin and causing us to stand in God's favor instead of under His wrath and condemnation. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, said Paul in the familiar passage of Ephesians 2 and verse 8. You may have heard it said that God's mercy withholds what we do deserve, that is God's wrath, whereas His grace gives us what we don't deserve, His blessings, chief of which is salvation from sin. None of us deserve salvation, nor can we ever become deserving of it. It is the gift of God, as Paul said. Last week we spent our time together looking at how the Bible says grace saves through faith. We gave great emphasis to the fact that salvation is offered to man solely on the merits of God's grace, but is claimed through trusting, obedient faith in Jesus Christ. We explored the much debated relationship between grace, faith, and works, and how there is some kind of work that is expected of the one who would receive the grace of God, but not such work as could ever be claimed to earn or merit salvation or bring glory to the person who, uh, who performs that obedience. Now, I urge you to contact us and request the printed copy of last week's lesson if you missed it or to go back and watch it and study with me what the Bible says about that important subject. It's critical that we understand that. We talked about Paul in Titus chapter 2, how he describes God's grace as a redeeming or saving grace. Well, let's look at the passage again and see what else we learned today. Titus chapter 2, beginning in verse 11, he says, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave Himself for us, that He might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for Himself His own special people, zealous for good works. So it was the grace of God, not the work of man, that wrought salvation's plan. Salvation was procured and offered to mankind on the basis of God's love and concern for the fallen race which is incredible when you consider the fact that God would care anything about those who had rebelled against Him. But that's exactly what mankind had done, including you and me. For when we were still without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet perhaps for a good man someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates His own love toward us, in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us, said Paul in Romans chapter 5, verses 6-8. through 8. Well, that's the grace of God. You need it, I need it. Ne'er a single one of us will ever be forgiven of a single sin or take one step on heaven's golden street without it. But that's not all that Paul teaches us about the grace of God. Here in this passage, Titus 2, Paul not only affirms that God's grace is redeeming grace, but I want you to notice that it is also reaching grace. Listen again to verse 11. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. The last phrase is just as significant as the first, and we need to be sure to understand what Paul is saying. First of all, he is affirming that God's grace reaches every sinner, not just some. The popular theology of Calvinism says that God pre-selected certain individuals for salvation from 
before time, and if that's true, we would have to naturally conclude that he also purposefully ordained many individuals to be condemned. He created people and predestined them to eternal condemnation. Now that's the doctrine of Calvinism. In other words, if you were not chosen for salvation from before time began, then you were condemned to hell before time began, and you had no choice in the matter. But Paul says, the grace of God that has brought salvation has appeared to all men. Now that doesn't mean that all people are saved, because there are many, many passages which very plainly show that that's not the case. Enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leads to destruction, and there are many who go in by it, said Jesus in Matthew 7 verse 13. So if the grace of God which has brought salvation has appeared to all, well, why aren't all saved? Because as Paul taught us a few weeks ago in Romans 10 verse 16, they have not all obeyed the gospel. That's why. Because we're saved by grace through faith. And not everybody is willing to surrender their lives and place their faith in Jesus Christ. You see, grace offers pardon, and it does so to every sinner on the face of the earth and throughout history. But that pardon must be received. Now that brings up a critical distinction that we must understand. Yes, grace is unconditionally offered to every sinner. God's grace has appeared and been extended toward us while we were enemies of God. We did nothing to merit God extending His grace toward us. It was universally and unconditionally offered to sinful man. But listen, it is not universally and unconditionally received. It must be received in obedient faith. And it is possible to reject the pardon that is offered. Did you know because a governor or a president issues a pardon to a condemned criminal, that pardon still has to be accepted? It's hard to imagine why one would do so, but the person on death row can refuse the pardon. There's a case in the early 1800s that went before the United States Supreme Court because a condemned man did just that. He refused a pardon, and the court determined that the court has, or rather that uh, the government has the power to offer a pardon, to extend a pardon, but it must be accepted or received by the person that that pardon is offered to. Well, it's hard to imagine a person sitting in prison and on death row refusing such a pardon, but it's also hard to imagine how a sinner could reject a pardon from eternal hell and refuse it. But that's what many people do by choosing to remain in their sins and refusing to heed and obey the gospel and surrender their will and their lives to Jesus. Friend, if you desire to be saved, you don't need to wait for a sign or search for some inner signal from the Holy Spirit to know God's grace is offered to you. You simply need to read the Bible or listen to it when it's preached because it has already told you here that God's grace has appeared to you. It has appeared to you in the form of the gospel that you're listening to. The gospel that the apostles first preached and that echoes down through the ages through the word of God to your ears and my ears today. And if you want to be saved, you simply need to do what Saul was told in Acts 22 verse 16. If you believe the message, are willing to turn your life to Christ away from sin. And I said, why are you waiting, Saul? Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. The grace is offered. Now you need to get up and receive it in gospel obedience. But Paul is not only showing that grace can reach every sinner. He's affirming that God's grace reaches even the lowest sinner. All men means what it says, including the most sinful and vile and guilty 
of people. Now, men, it should go without saying, refers to mankind and not just the male gender. But God's grace reaches down to the man or woman in sin's filthiest gutter. Many a person, if they ever come to realize the shame and ruin of their sin, they feel beyond the reach of God's redeeming grace. But they need to know, and maybe you need to know today, that His grace is reaching grace. Listen, friend, you have not committed a sin in your life that the blood of Christ cannot cover if you'll confess it and repent of it. You have not sinned so many times that the grace of God cannot wipe the slate clean and give you a new life and a new beginning. Oh, now there will be earthly consequences, but the grace of God can cleanse the blackest stain on the human soul. And the grace of God can cause God to account one as righteous as though he had never sinned, even though we all have. Listen, if Christ could command us to forgive another 70 times 7, God himself is willing to forgive 70 times 7. Don't abuse the grace of God, though, because one thing that happens is repeated and unrepented sin hardens your heart until you won't repent. But perhaps you at this moment, you need to hear that despite the depths of depravity and degradation you may have sunk to, and as far from God as you may be, His grace can reach you. If you can hear believe, and obey the gospel. You know, Paul made up a dark and sordid list that described the past lives of those who formed the Corinthian church in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, beginning in the ninth verse, when he said, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners, will inherit the kingdom of God. Now that's God's judgment. That's God's justice. That's the promise of His Word to those who refuse to repent of their sins and yield to Christ. But listen to what he says about these people. Such were some of you. But you were washed. But you were sanctified. But you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. Now you've never committed any sin that's worse than those that Paul mentioned in that list. And maybe you've committed many, if not all, of the sins that he mentions there. We all have sins in our life, and all of us have some form of some sin that I just read in your hearing in our past and in our life. Friend, if the grace of God could reach down into all of that mess, it could reach into your wasted life and lift you out and wash you clean and pure and make you holy and set you apart for God's service and His glory. Are you ready for that? Are you, are you ready to begin that new life, I hope you'll reach out today. And I hope that we can help you in obeying the gospel and committing your life to Christ and experiencing that new birth and life anew, that clean slate. You know, if you're under the sound of my voice today, no matter who you are, where you come from, how you've lived, how terribly you've messed up your life, if you have ears to hear the gospel, God's grace is reaching out to you. But let's notice something else about the grace of God that is often overlooked. And here is where so many misrepresent and exploit God's grace. Paul tells us that it is not only redeeming grace and reaching grace, it's also reforming grace. You hear people talk about the grace of God in ways today that frankly cheapen and abuse the favor and loving kindness of God. Don't we hear people suggest that 
They're living under grace, and therefore their sinful lifestyle and their apathy toward obeying the Word of God, well, are really no big deal. I hear people say things that would logically lead one to such a conclusion all of the time. It is a common misunderstanding of the grace of God. I'm going to make a bold but true statement here. God's grace does not cover the sin that a person refuses to repent of. God is patient with us as we try to do His will and allow Him to form Christ in us. But the grace of God does not excuse the sin that a person stubbornly clings to and refuses to turn from. Now, if we're telling ourselves and others that an immoral life or an immoral situation can just continue on because we're living under grace, or that it doesn't matter how a person lives or what they believe or how they worship God because we're under grace, we're misrepresenting the grace of God. Listen again to Paul. He says, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present age. And look down at verse 15. Who gave himself for us that he might redeem us. But he goes on. Redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people zealous for good works. You see, if we're not living a repentant life that is being transformed into what God wants it to be according to His Word, we've not received the grace of God. You may be living under a delusion and have a false confidence about grace, but if you're truly living in the grace of God, that grace is changing your life from sin to righteousness, from glory to glory, and ultimately into the likeness of Christ Jesus Himself. And if that's not the case, you may be like those of whom Jude sternly warned in Jude verse 4, when he spoke of certain men who have crept in unnoticed, who long ago were marked out for this condemnation, ungodly men who turned the grace of our God into lewdness and denied the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. Well, I suggest that that's still going on today. There are many false representatives of grace in the religious world today. There are many supposed adherents to the Christian faith today who are living under the delusion that grace just covers all and they unrepentantly hide behind the grace of God and use it as a cloak to excuse their sinful living. God forbid. What shall we say then, Paul asked? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Well, that's the reasoning of many. But he says, certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Romans 6 verses 1 and 2. And then down in verse 11. Likewise you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Therefore do not let sin reign in your mortal body, that you should obey it in its lusts. And do not present your members or your body as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under law, but under grace. Yes, the Christian is living under, in, through, by the grace of God. But Paul says such a one does not yield his life, his body, his, his members to sin. Sin no longer has dominion in that person's life. That doesn't mean we don't make mistakes. But what it means is 
that sin is an unwelcome intruder in our life, that we are doing everything in our power to get it out of our life, we're not just simply content to live in sin and under the guise that we're just living under God's grace. Be very careful lest you do what the apostles expressly warned us not to do in 2 Corinthians 6 and verse 1. Paul said, We then as workers together with him also plead with you not to receive the grace of God in vain. So it is not only redeeming grace and reaching grace, but also reforming grace if it is genuinely the grace of God. But then Paul tells us it is also rejoicing grace. The grace of God not only transforms our outward life, but also our inward attitude and our outlook on the future. You know, so many people are casually living their lives oblivious to God's condemnation that they're living under. And if only people could understand their sinful condition and what it means to be lost and what it means to be estranged from God. You have those who live oblivious to their guilt and their impending doom. But you know, you even have those even who profess to be saved, who continue to live guilt-laden, dismal, depressed, and defeated lives. Well, such ones have little understanding and certainly no appreciation for the grace of God. You cannot know the grace of God without it transforming your life. Listen to what Paul says. He says, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us, denying ungodliness, worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present age, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. Did you see what he said? The grace of God produces, if truly received, not only a godly life, but a hopeful, zealous, expectant life. The phrase, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of Christ. Now that means much more than perhaps we see on the surface. We often use the word hope to mean wishful thinking. In other words, like I hope it rains soon or I hope I get a raise at work. But that's not what hope means in the Bible. The word that the Bible uses that we translate hope means much more than just a general desire. It means a confident expectation, a certain expectation. It means a certain anticipation. In other words, the Christian who has received the grace of God lives in and has been transformed by the grace of God and is living in view of the grace of God. He not only knows in his heart of hearts that Jesus is coming again, he knows that beyond the shadow of a doubt. He's joyfully looking forward to it. Do you look forward to Christ coming again? Or does that very thought strike fear and terror? You know, if that's the case, you need to come to know the grace of God. You need to let Christ have control of and rule your life through gospel obedience and begin walking in the light of His truth. You don't have to earn that. You can't earn it. But you must surrender to it and yield to Him. And when you do, His grace will transform you. It will turn the barren desert of your life into springs of living water from within, and it will give you hope and peace and assurance and confidence to face another day and to face the eastern sky and the sure promise that one day Jesus will there appear and reward us according to the lives we're living. Don't receive the grace of God in vain. Receive it in faith and obedience and let it begin its transformative work in your life today.
Subscribe to our YouTube channel to see all of our past broadcasts plus extra videos including Let the Bible Speak classics all the way back to the 1960s. And get new updates, go to YouTube and search for Let the Bible Speak TV and click on subscribe. I'm thankful we've had this time together and I thank you for setting aside your time to join me to study the Word of God. And if you'd like to have a free printed transcript of our sermon today, we'll be glad to send it to you. In fact, you can order both parts if you wish. Part 1, Part 2 of The Grace of God. Ask for it by that title, The Grace of God, and we'll get the lesson to you as soon as we can. We appreciate you for watching the program, and we appreciate you for telling others about it. You can help us by subscribing to our YouTube channel and liking our page on various social media platforms and sharing our content from week to week. You're sowing the seed of the kingdom. When you do so, you never know where that seed will fall and how it may germinate and take root and produce wonderful fruit to the glory of God. So we appreciate you for helping us in that endeavor. I hope you'll join me next week if God is willing. We'll meet right back here and study the Word of God again together. Until then, have a wonderful week ahead and may God richly bless you until we meet again. Let the Bible Speak is brought to you by The Church of Christ. For more information, including our past broadcast and sermon transcripts, visit ltbstv.org. Thanks for being with us today. Join us next time for Let the Bible Speak.